I hope that you open your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 21, or you can click on whatever uh, electronic device you have to read the scriptures, but Revelation chapter 21. As you do, let me make mention of uh, two more quick announcements, and that is that November the 30th is a Friday. It's the Friday after the weekend of Thanksgiving, and on that Friday at noon, we're having a Heritage Seniors Holiday Luncheon. So if you are uh, of the retirement age and or beyond, and you'd like to come to that, we would love to host you. We're trying to explore uh, creating a new river of ministry at Heritage for uh, to... Uh, to, to concentrate on, to, to, to let those who are retired continue to gather, grow, and go and do stuff. We want to give them opportunity, and uh, we think this will be a really neat ministry, not only to those who are a part of the church, but really to those who are looking for a place to belong. Heritage is a house of honor, and we are intentionally a multi-generational church. So we're, while we are currently doubling down and trying to invest into our children's ministry, at the same time, we want to create new attention and energy and investment into every generation. And so we hope that you'll pray with us and be a part of that. I would love to see us run out of room because folks are coming from other, from, from other places and you know, they're building these even uh, retirement-type homes around here. And we just want to say, hey, if you want a place that honors you and it's not looking to, to dismiss any generation, any generation be dismissed, if you're looking for a place where one generation shall declare your glory, your praise to another, this is the place. Amen. What we're looking for is because I'm, here's the deal. Here's the deal. For, for the seedlings of the redwood tree take root in the root system of, the, of, the, of their parents. That's how redwood forests grow. They take root. They, they drop their roots, go down into the very roots of those who went before them. Did you know that we're surrounded by redwoods? We actually have some around this house. Isn't that pretty cool? Okay, let's go on. One more thing. Also, uh, newcomers, if you are newer to heritage, if you're newer to heritage, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to my house. Not today. Come, we want to invite you to our house on the uh, 26th of October. It's a Friday night at 7 p.m. Uh, we want to just, we like to welcome newcomers, and I have my staff there, and we try to host people and welcome them and some key leaders that are just that help me specifically with some hospitality stuff. And uh, if you're newer and you've never been, please come. If you're newer and you have come but you really liked it, you can still come. But you've got to be relatively new. Like if I've known you for 15 years, don't like, hey, I thought I'd come to a newcomer's. Well, unless you've never been to church. Bottom line is newcomer's lunch, newcomer's lunch, newcomer's uh, reception at our place, Friday night, 7 o'clock, October 26th. If you got it, say, I got it. All right, now, how many of you found the book of Revelation, chapter 21, in your Bibles? We are in Revelation 21. We're going to finish Revelation 21 today, and next week we're start, we start on Revelation 22. Wow, very, very exciting. And here's why all of that is exciting, because Revelation 21 and 22 are uh, eternity. You know all the songs you think about eternity and the stories you talk about heaven. When you talk about heaven, you talk about eternity. You talk about all the things, all of the stories that you heard, the songs that people sing. When we talk about, well, when, you know, we're going to live with the Lord. All, none of that has happened until chapter 21. Up until chapter 21 is the, forgive the, how this sounds, the recapitulation of, of redemptive historical history, judgment, the, the plan of God, the redemption plan of God, all the things that are unfolding, the unfolding of 
history happens right up until and through chapter 20. Then history stops. And at 21, eternity begins. Heaven starts. And so, and here's the thing. Throughout the New Testament, when you read about the, our promise, when you read about the inheritance that we have and all the stuff that we're waiting for, we, we don't, we don't, that's not what's described for us necessarily, although it's, it's hinted at here and there throughout Revelation. We don't, if you want to know what's promised, if you want to know what your inheritance is, if you want to know what we're really looking forward to, if you want to know what, what people before you have longed for and before them and before them, for generations before them, and, our old, and the people back in the Old Testament, I'll show you today, what they look forward to is it, what we ultimately look forward to is Revelation 21 and 22. That is our promise. That is the promise of the age to come. Would you all say the promise of the age to come? The promise of the age to come. And so we see that, and it fuels us, and it thrills us, and it, and it draws our hearts in hope and in trust for that day. It helps us to look beyond today, to stop measuring my existence by the moment I'm in, and helps me to look forward to eternity, because that's, that's the real deal. But here's the rest of the story. The New Testament says that you and I, that those who have faith in Christ, we've actually received a pledge, a down payment. We have received the first installment of the promise of the age to come. And what we have received, and this is what's going to help our expectometer and help establish uh, our own expectations for how we should live, What we have received is the same substance, the same essence as the promise. When how many of you have ever put a down payment on anything? Okay, you put a down payment on a house, you put a down payment on a car. When you put a down payment on something, you 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 it's the same substance as what's gonna come later. We don't put a down we don't do a down payment in cinnamon rolls and then pay in cash later. Although I wouldn't mind the cinnamon rolls, right? I mean, the barter system is what it is. The point is this, that the the deposit that you have received from heaven, the the pledge that, that God has given us is the same in substance and the same in essence as the promise that awaits us. So that's why we live now as people who are stamped with eternity. You have been stamped with the power and the promise of the future. And so that's why we live now as people who belong then. We live now as people who look like and act like people who belong to a promise. As a matter of fact, we actually are, the the, the believer, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be, we are, we're not just supposed to be, this is, there's no other option, there is no plan B. We are the sign and the evidence of the world to come. You are here on this earth as a beacon, as evidence, as a testimony. You have been stamped with the promise so that you reflect its reality and you draw other people to place their hope in that reality. This world must see that there is a promise of the age to come. And the way that they are supposed to see that promise is through the church. So it does us good then to look. Oh my goodness, that's sake. It does us good to look at Revelation 21 and 22. It does us good to stare into eternity and keep an eye on it. It does us good to live with a view of eternity because 
goodness sakes, all those Bugs Bunny cartoons you saw where heaven is just people wearing a robe with a, with a, with a glued-on halo and playing a fiddle or something, that idea that heaven is somehow irrelevant, it's a, it's a, it's a ethereal, it's out there, it doesn't matter, it's just this mysterious thing. Listen, Revelation 22 tells us it's not mysterious, it's powerful, it's glorious, it's wonderful, and it's real. And we should, we should be living like people who belong there now. And that's the whole idea. Now, let's explain it. Open your Bibles, please. Revelation chapter 21. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We left off at, chapter, at verse 8, and now let's pick up at verse 9. But before we do, here's some passages of Scripture. I just kind of got excited and was telling you about how we are stamped with eternity and we have these things. Here's some passages of Scripture that, that highlight that for us. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, the writer of Hebrews is reminding his audience that they have been stamped with eternity. Here's what he says. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. He's saying that people who have come to Christ, it's not just a decision that you make. It's not just a hand that you raise. You actually become stamped with something. You, you're, I want you to, this should change. This should churn your expectations. Come on, church. I want to, you don't have to respond, but I'm saying, come on. Let what you expect from what you have received so far, let it be stretched and enlarged. You need to begin to believe that you are more than you are right now. There is God has done more for us and in us. He has, he has the deposit he's made is far more glorious than most of us are living. That shouldn't invite shame. That should excite enthusiasm and hope. That should cause you to throw off everything that would hinder you and run with enthusiasm and with perseverance the race set before you because you have been stamped already with the finish line. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse four, uh, verses 13 to 14, Paul says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, you've got to hear it, the gospel of your salvation, and having also believed, you've got to hear the gospel, you believe it. When you believe it, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge. Come on, say pledge. As a pledge, an installment, a down, the Holy Spirit himself is the down payment of your inheritance. And this is all, Paul says, with a view to to the redemption of God's own possession. As such, we live like people of that promise. That's what uh, 2 Peter 3, 13 through 14 says. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Live like people who are living for this promise. All right. So picking up at verse 9 in chapter 21, John says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the last seven plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride. the wife of the lamb, one of the seven angels of the seven bowls of wrath. This is likely the same feller that we actually saw already in in chapter 17 and verse 1 when that angel said, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of wrath came to me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. If you remember what he's talking about, he's talking about the great city Babylon, the city of man, the, the, the spiritual city of man's carnality and rebellion that 
that Revelation describes its demise. So what the angel says is, first of all, he shows him the, the demise and the destruction of the counterfeit and then the glorious appearing of the real thing, the holy city, the bride. And here's what he said. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. This is a reflection of Ezekiel chapter 40, when Ezekiel also sees this vision, but he doesn't see it as clearly as John does. John continues, and he says, He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God. He showed me. He said, I'm going to, the angel said, I'm going to show you the bride. Ooh, the bride. And what he saw was a holy city. Come on, somebody say, the holy city. You've got to say it again, the holy city. Do you understand the significance of this? You've got to have a real biblical theological grasp of, of this idea of city. That way back in Genesis 11, the city of man is erected to say that we'll tell God where to sit. And the Tower of Babel that says, we will determine our own salvation. We will build our own way to heaven. We ourselves will mediate heaven and earth. We are the ones who mediate. And that's why it invokes the judgment of God. Because there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And ever since then, that spirit has been popping up in civilizations. The arrogance of man, the carnality of man, the paganism of man, the atheism of man, all that stuff pops up and it always eventually expresses itself in hostility toward God and those who follow him. But now, John says, I saw the holy city. Come on, say the holy city. city. See, I know what's going to happen and so I'm excited. So... uh, The holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, and it has the glory of God. This city has the glory of God. She is clothed in. She possesses the glory of God. Time out. If that's our promise, then I want you to consider our pledge. We, are, we right now are moving from glory to glory. Right now, if, if our promise is glory, then so is the pledge. If the promise is glory, then so is the pledge. The church should be a glorious place. We should reflect and express the very glory of God. Come on, expectometer, rise up a little bit. Believe God for something. We're supposed to be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, not just when the promise time comes, but right now, because that's the down payment. That's exciting. But here's more. What we see is that she comes out, she comes from God. Whatever comes from God is the result of promise. She is the result. She is the product of that which has been promised. This city, just as the church, is God's idea and God's design. It is the result of a promise that has been long awaited. The writer of Hebrews tells us something. Remember Abraham? Abraham, the story of Abraham, coincidentally, not coincidentally, the story of Abraham happens immediately after the story of the Tower of Babel. As a matter of fact, in the same region, the Chaldean region is where Abraham gets pulled out. So right out of Babel, Babylon, right out of that, God pulls something out. He says, no, I have a different idea. I have a different plan. I have a different promise. So it pulls it right out. And listen, the writer of Hebrews helps us understand what Abraham was looking for. Abraham saw something. Abraham heard something. Abraham was aware of something. And the writer of Hebrews says in 11.10, for he was looking forward to the city. He he left where he was from. He dwelt in another place, but ultimately he said he was looking forward to the city. 
with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's looking forward to something. And then the writer of Hebrews says, actually, everybody who has lived, every person who has lived a life of faith has lived with this same hope. They, they have ho- lived with the hope in the promise of the age to come. Verse 13, all these people died in faith without receiving the things they were promised. That doesn't mean God was holding back from them. It's saying that they died looking for the promise yet to come. Listen to this. However, they saw them and welcomed them from afar, and they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Those who say such things show that they are seeking a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they could have they had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He has prepared a city. Listen, everybody, all of these Old Testament saints have been looking for what we see promised, fulfilled in Revelation 21, the city of God. Come on, somebody say the city of God. And we, you and I live right now as people who are marked as citizens of that city. John continues. Let's keep going. John continues to talk about the city. In verse, the second part of verse 11, he says, Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. But what I do know, I've heard that before. See, it says that she, the, the church looks like crystal clear jasper. I've heard that before in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, that he who was sitting on the throne himself was like a jasper stone in appearance. That tells me that this city looks like is made in the image of God. Listen, that's our promise, that's our promise, and that's our pledge. You are made in the image of God. You are His image bearers. You are to reflect the very image of God Himself. You are the signpost. You are the evidence that there's more to come than this. Oh, that's exciting. All right, we got to keep going. Although I'm doing good on my time. Here we go, verse 12. It had a very high. It had a very high wall with 12 gates and the at the gates 12 angels and names were written on them the gates which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. We'll come back to that. Verse 13. <laughs> and there were three gates on the east, three gates On the north, oh my golly, I didn't even see this first service. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And we'll read later that the gates are never closed. You know what that means? Not just one gate, he sighed. Three, three whopping wide gates to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. That's what our promise looks like. And so the pledge must also look like that. We must say to the north and to the south and to the east and to the west, come, come home, come to Christ, the gospel. Here, come to Jesus. Come to know the God who made you. We have to open up our, we, our doors are already wide. So we expect just like our promise that we'll live like the pledge that we call to every direction, every cardinal saying, come home, come home, come home, come home, come home. 
Okay, but then it says that they have 12 gates, and then it says 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. All right, so this city then has gates named after the tribes of Israel, foundation stones named after the apostles, which we'll hear that again in just a moment. This city is the embodiment. It is the architectural expression of the redeemed people of God. The tribes of Israel, the apostles of the Lamb, this city is the culmination of redemption's story. Old and New Testament. One people, one city, one Lord, one plan, one redemption, one salvation. Wow. Paul says that you and I are still part of this story. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working and weaving and building the church. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. That we, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's just what John saw. Fascinating. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You and I are being built together, and the ultimate purpose is that ultimately, like this city, we will be the dwelling of God, but that's the pledge right now. Then he says in verse 15, this is so cool. Oh, my God. Here we go. The one who spoke to me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. How many of you came to church excited for me to explain all this measurement to you? I'm going to be a big, huge disappointment. I don't know. But I'll tell you, but I do know this part. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square, hmm, and its length is as great as its height, and it's measured... And he measured the city with a rod 1,500 miles. Its length and its width and its height are equal. That means 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, and 1,500 miles this way. That is bigger than Pluto. Now, that would be more impressive when Pluto was still a planet. But if we just rewind the tape a few years and just imagine that we could say this city is bigger than a planet in the solar system. 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles is further than the I-5 corridor. If you start in Canada, drive all the way down to Mexico, 1,500 miles is further than that. That's one, that's one measurement of this city. What in the world does that mean? It's big. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> and that is the next point, only it's not big. It, the word is massive, Bill. Look at the notes. Yeah. It's massive. Somebody say massive. massive. No, if it were, we could, I mean, I'm not against everything. You know, I'm not trying to make, make everything, you know, uh, 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 you know a, a picturesque or, or uh, a symbolic. But it, this thing, if this thing were totally literal, it would look like a giant, you know, if you were a sci-fi guy, a giant Borg cube coming down out and landing on the planet. But that's, so that's, the, that's not the point. The point is this. It's massive, and it is intended to be understood as the greatest city in history or eternity. And the meaning, or at least one of the meanings, there's a couple of them, but one of the meanings is this. There is room for everyone. There's room for you. There's room for your neighbor. There's room for your whole neighborhood. 
There is room. God builds things to accommodate everybody, to make room for everybody. And if that's the promise, then the pledge must be the same. We must believe God that we will have room. That there's The old song says there's room at the cross for you. There's room at the gospel. There is room. The arms of God are wide enough. There is room yet to be filled. God is looking. The Bible says, the parables say that the master of the house wants his house full. 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 I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but that means, listen, that if there's an empty chair anywhere near you, that, that means there's room today for someone even more in this service. We want to fill every service, every time, full, full, full. Not for the sake of numbers, but because that's our promise. Furthermore, if this thing is huge, you could, and you could take the H off, it's huge. It's going to be huge. But listen, listen, if that's the promise, we have to imagine the pledge. If the promise of, of our, if eternity, if that's the promise, then if, here's the deal. If you and I, if we are thinking small, then we aren't thinking like heaven. If our dreams are small, we're not thinking like heaven. If our plans are small, we're not thinking like heaven. Or Roberts had on his desk a plaque that said, make no small plans here. And you know what? That should be the, on the desk, on the placard of every place that has ever been marked with eternity. Make no small plans here because you are marked with something more massive than you could ever measure. The promise of God is huge. It's massive. So we've got to pray big. We've got to believe big. We've got to dream big. There is so much more to do. We, I don't want to walk through this life and settle for scraps. Come on, Heritage Church. We can raise up a whole city. I was reading, you know, every time we get together, we talk about we want to see 10,000 people baptized and uh, 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 born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit in this county. And we say, oh, yay, God, that's exciting. And then I pull open my history book and I read about Southern California and I read that 20,000 people were born again at Calvary Chapel in two years. And one day they baptized a thousand people. It took them four hours with two people just dunking, 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 dunking. It is huge. I remember thinking that was a big deal until my friend David Ellis came to me and told me that in, that there, in, the, in, the, in the 1980s in Argentina, there was a city that 80,000 people were born again in a month. You got to, we've got to start thinking much bigger. Why? Because what we are stamped with is massive. It's all, but that's not all. That's all the fun stuff. Here's the other stuff. It's, a, it's, 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 it's deep and wide and whatever else measure. It, it's the same. It's a cube. It's a cube. What is the, why? What's the deal with that? Way back in the tabernacle. The desert. Moses constructed this tabernacle. It wasn't because God needed a place to be. It wasn't to give him a house. It was because God wanted to dwell with his people. But at the time, there had to be barriers. And the whole tabernacle was designed as an, inst- as an instruction that there, were, there was a process to come near to God. God didn't, it wasn't about building God a safe place to live, a box to live in. 
It was about helping people recognize and practice a reverence toward the presence of God. You feel that? God didn't need a, a house to live in. Oh, no, what do we? He wasn't some sort of a pagan deity that needed, needed a box. No, 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 no. The whole tabernacle was designed so the people understood that God was with them, but that God was with them on his terms and not theirs. And that at the time, there was, there was measures because of the condition, because of the fall of man, that, that there was, and the whole plan of the tabernacle tells the story of salvation, is, is, tells, tells the story of Christ himself. And right in the middle of that tabernacle, right in the center of it, the thing that defined them as a people, they were camped around it, they lived by it, the thing that defined them as a people, the thing that influenced how they lived, what they did, the thing that gave weight and wonder and gravity to every law, every act of worship, right in the middle of it was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was a place where the, 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 the manifest presence of God dwelled, but nobody could go in there. Once a year, the high priest could go in. And when he came out, after the, on the Day of Atonement, he would announce a blessing and everybody would get their party on. But nobody could go in there. Now, I've said this before. I'll keep saying it because it always comes to my mind. If somebody told me, I don't care who, I don't care what. If somebody told me that inside those curtains, inside that place, take a few more steps, and then there's a room where God is, I'd go there. And I would say, kill me, but I'm going in there. I'll, if I have to die, fine. That's a wonderful way to go. But for whatever reason, they said, he lives in, can't go in there, that's the presence of God. Do you know? Well, I'll tell you, you probably figured it out. That Holy of Holies in that tabernacle was a cube. It was a perfect cube. Length, width, height, the same. Later on, Solomon would, would build a temple. Same principles were in place. It wasn't because God wanted a nicer house. He said, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, what are you going to build? That's what the Lord said. But they built this thing, and, and the beauty of it and the, the majesty of it, <laughs> the beauty and majesty of the temple was to tell them two things. It was to tell them that of something about themselves and about the presence of God, how they, were to, how, they were to, how they were to act because of that temple and because the presence of God was there, and yet there was still this story, the process of drawing near. But right in the middle of that temple was a place that was a perfect cube, the Holy of Holies, right in that temple. Now, John describes a whole city coming down as a perfect cube. What he is saying is the entire city, your enti- the, the, the promise of the city to come, the whole place is the Holy of Holies. That's the promise. What's the pledge? Know ye not? Know ye not? Know ye not? You are the temple. Know ye not? Know ye not? You are the temple. Know ye not? Know ye not? You are the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The bear, when, when, Christ, when Christ's sacrifice was complete, the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world was torn in half. You have this promise now. We right now, church, we right now are supposed to embody and be and act like that the Holy of Holies is this place and this place. This place and this place. He continues in verse 17. 
And he measured the wall, 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Once again, I'm not going there, okay? Verse 18, I have no idea what that means, don't ask me. Verse 18, the material of the wall was jasper, oh, we've heard that before, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The rest of 19 through the middle of 21 talk about these precious stones. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. We'll talk about them in in general. But yes, they do reflect the stones that were worn up on the the breastplate of of the chief priest. Okay? But so then he says, and then the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl. Holy smoke. And the street was pure gold like transparent glass. There's the verse you've been waiting for when they talk about heaven and the streets of gold and whatever. There it is. It has streets of gold. But you know, it doesn't just have streets of gold. The whole blessed place is gold. The whole thing is, is, is resplendent, glorious gold, clear as glass. What in the world do we take from this gold city with gold streets and jewels everywhere? All of this, though, tells us at least a couple of things. Number one, it tells us that the bride is priceless and transparently pure. It tells us that God sees, he designs a church in eternity that is both priceless and pure. And if that's our promise, that must be our pledge. You understand now that you were bought with a price, not with silver and gold, but with the matchless blood of the Son of God. Therefore, understand how how valuable you are to God and then live like it because you were made, you were purchased to be absolutely pure. Come on, church. You are to reveal the the pricelessness and the purity of the city of God. Wow. But what else should we make? i got to just rub on that for a few more moments. What else? I thought about it. Wait, wait a minute. Look at this thing. Look at the time that John takes to tell us how resplendent, how beautiful, how mag- magnificent, how excellent this church, this, this, this city is. And I thought, hmm. I wonder how else we might should respond to the beauty and the splendor and the excellence of our promise. If our promise is unparalleled in excellence, if our promise is pure and praiseworthy, if our promise has so much attention to detail and beauty and wonder, how should we who have the pledge, how should we live? Now, I'm not saying that we should consider gold plating our chairs. But I am saying that we should not be the people of duct tape and chicken wire. Our lives should not be duct tape and chicken wire together. Our church should not, our building shouldn't be constructed with duct tape and chicken wire. Neither should your families. You should not be strung together, holding out hope, waiting at the broken down bus stop for the Lord to come and help you. You're supposed to be reflecting something beautiful and powerful right now. There should be something praiseworthy about your life. The Bible says Abraham lived as one who was looking forward to a promise. And you know what his life looked like? Blessed. People say, hey, that guy looks different than everybody around him. Well, he's actually looking for a city that's yet to be built, but he's stamped with it right now. And that should be you and me. Come on, lift your expectometer just a little bit. No, I'm not talking about everybody driving a Mercedes, but I am talking about maybe driving a car that runs. (laughs) 
excellence. Excellence, not just excellence in every part of our life. It helps me understand the why behind verses like Philippians 4.8. Why? Why? Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Why? Yes, they're the part of the nature of God, but they also reflect the the promise with which we have been pledged. It also makes sense for me to hear 3 John chapter 2, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers because you are stamped with something incredibly beautiful. No, he continues. Verse 22, having described the beauty and magnitude of the city and all that it means to us, and he continues. Verse 22 says that there is no distance. He said, I saw no temple in it. What? Can you imagine being an Israelite, a people of, of, of that religious history, and saying that someday there's going to be a city with no temple. At first, that might sound like a disappointment, but the rest of the story says this, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. There is no distance. Remember the, remember the temple was not there to keep God in the box to keep Him safe. It was to keep us safe. But now all of that has been removed. Any, any need for any barrier is gone forever. And now this, the whole city, the whole our, heaven itself will be illuminated with the glory of God. That God himself will be the temple. We will have free and unfettered access and fellowship with God forever. That's the promise. And you know what the good news is? That's the pledge. Pentecost is the down payment of that right now. That in, in that, we saw it in Acts chapter 2 that, that on, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together together in one place and that there was a sound from heaven and a sight of fire that separated and they were all filled. They were filled. Not a building. They were all filled with the Spirit of God. This was the down payment of yet of what is to come. There is no temple. There is no more. There is in, in heaven, in that city, there won't be sacred place and secular place. There won't be a place that you should not cuss and a place that's okay to cuss. I'm going to, you know, hey, don't talk like that. You're in the house of God. You know what they're going to say in heaven? They're going to say that everywhere. Everywhere is going to be in the house of God. But that's the promise you live in now because you are the house of God. You are. So every place you are is sacred. And we live now. We live now with an awareness of God's immediate presence. Then it says in verse 23, there will be no darkness. Somebody say no darkness. And the city has no need of sun or or the moon to shine, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb, and the nations will walk by its light. Wow, that's the promise that that this city will give light to the nations. If that's the promise, we know what the pledge is. Jesus said it. You are the light of the world. Right now. You are the light. That light isn't waiting to shine someday. It's shining right now. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. There will be no darkness. Somebody say it again, no darkness. That's huge because in the Scripture, darkness has huge symbolism. Darkness means confusion, anxiety, and fear. Darkness speaks of the domain of evil. 
Darkness is the absence of sight and of truth and of understanding. Darkness is folly, error, and shadows. And in the age to come, it is all gone. Gone. That's the promise. But the pledge is, and we already know right now, John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. 1 John 2, 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. If we walk in the light now, as he is in the light now, we have fellowship now with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the pledge. Finally, speaking of no sin, verse 27, no sin. Does that sound too cliche to say there will be no sin in heaven? Oh, man, I can't wait for that. Wish it were like that now. No sin. No sin, no sinning, no sinners. Verse 27, nothing unclean and no one, no, no thing and no person who practices an abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In that time, there will be no sin nor anyone who practices it. There will only be those whose names are in the book because they have been clothed with new garments, freed from death, delivered from the devil, and cleansed by the blood of a lamb. Their name is in the book, and it stays there forever. And they live freely, totally, righteously, forever. If that is the promise, how should we live now? We should live like citizens of that great city now. That's why Paul says in in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, he says our citizenship is right now in heaven. When you think about that city, whatever symbolism is used there, there is is a place. (laughs) And it's given to us so we can imagine something. There is a great city. There is a holy city prepared by God himself that is heaven, that will be eternity. There, There is a city, and here's what I know. Right now, right now, my name is written in a book that says I am a citizen of that city. I'm a citizen of that city right now. It's my real home. I got me an address. I got, I don't know, I got me a phone number. I don't know, maybe they don't, I don't know what it is. But I got me a place. I am a citizen. I have, I have, I have the rights and the privileges of a citizen of another city. You know how I do? Because my name's in a book. My name was written in a book. It's, it, that, that book has been around a long time. Moses said, oh, God, don't take, me that, don't, don't take me out of that book. Jesus told the disciples, rejoice, rejoice, not just because demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. As the, as the book of Revelation opens up, Jesus promises the overcomers that their name will not be removed from the Lamb's book of life. And we just saw in Revelation 20 that that's the last book that's ever opened up and closed. Anybody whose name is in that book is spared from a lake of fire from the second death. And they, have, they are citizens. Chapter 21 says that everybody who's a citizen of that city, their name's in the book. Is there anybody else here this morning who is a citizen of that city? Is there anybody whose name is in the book of life? 
Is there anybody who has said yes to Jesus? Is there anybody who has received him as Lord of their life? I don't just mean that you're a fan of Jesus or you like church or you want to give God a thumbs up, but I mean you have accepted citizenship. That means you have, you've, you know, you've, you, to be a citizen, you've got to raise your hand and swear, right? You don't earn it, but if you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have, taken, you have, you have sworn your life to him as your Lord, you're a citizen. You belong in that city. Your name's in the book. And if your name is in the book, you should live like it. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Since you look for these things, Peter says, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Your life should look like the promise you hope for. You are looking for that promise. You should live like those who are stamped with it. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that today. We thank you, Lord, for the hope we have in heaven. We thank you that it's real. And we thank you, Lord, that it's so real that it's not just something we wait for, although we do wait for it. It is our hope. It's our motivation. It's our great hope. But we also thank you, Lord, that be that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been stamped. We have received this down payment. We thank you, Lord, that, that, you have, that you have given us your Holy Spirit now as a pledge, as a first installment of all that is to come, so that we might live now like people who, stamp, who are stamped with eternity. Oh, Lord, help us to, have, help us to believe gloriously to dream and to plan big and beautiful, to live lives and words and thoughts that are praiseworthy and excellent. Help us to live without distance in our life, but, in, but, in, but instead in fellowship and communion with you. Help us to live as light, shining beacons in the world. And Lord, help us to live as righteous citizens of a city without sin. Would you stand together, please, as we close this morning? I asked you a moment ago if you're happy or if you knew that you were a citizen of that city. Would you bow your heads, please, across this room with me now? If the idea of a city of righteousness, of pristine holiness, if that doesn't appeal to you, you should check your heart right now. It might tell you, it might tell you where your affections are and where your loyalties are. Furthermore, if you do not know this morning, if you do not know that your name is in that book, if you do not know whether or not you're a citizen of that great city, you can can sign up today. It doesn't cost you anything. God has already paid the price. The Lord Jesus himself has shed his blood for you. He died on the cross for your sin. And if you will put your trust in his sacrifice on your behalf, and you will surrender to him as your Lord, he will say, you belong to me. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Is there anybody here this morning, you don't want to leave, I don't want to leave this room, you don't want to leave this room without saying, you know what, Dab, I'm not sure that my name is in the book. 
But today, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you lift your hand? Just say, I want to, get, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want, to be, I want to be saved today. I want to receive Christ into my heart. Somebody here, lift your hand to me. I will we'll pray for you today before you go. I'm not sure I can see everybody in the room. We want to pray for you. Friends, here's the deal. They're, they're, you are stamped with eternity. You can and should live like it.